1960, Adolf Eichmann was finally caught in Argentina some 25 years after World War II. He had fled Germany, having been an officer in charge of the Jewish extermination. And he was finally captured and was being tried for war crimes. During the trial, survivors of the Holocaust were invited to come and testify to Eichmann's atrocities. One of these survivors was Yehiel Demner. He was an Auschwitz survivor, and he was called into the courtroom to offer his testimony. And after a few minutes, he began weeping uncontrollably. He collapsed on the floor, had to be carried out of the courtroom. Twenty years later, 60 Minutes was doing a news piece on Eichmann, and they wanted to, to understand what was going through Denur's mind when he came in to testify. Was it coming face to face with such evil, being reminded of such atrocities? Was that what caused his reaction? And Denur said, no, that was not it at all. He said, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable of doing this. I am exactly like he. Exactly like Eichmann. Mike Wallace, the 60 Minutes correspondent, was, was forced to conclude, Eichmann is in all of us. He's in all of us. Now this reality recognized by Denur was not understood by the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. And this same reality that Jesus is confronting with these religious leaders, he is also confronting in us this morning. It is not the things that are outside that defile us, but the things on the inside. It's the things on the inside. I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. If you have your scriptures or if you want to read it on your phone, uh, please do so. We're continuing in our sermon series on Mark and um, we're considering the, the urgency of Jesus. Why is Mark so eager to present Jesus in such a way that is, that is urgent and immediate We're going to be looking at chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. And as we do so, we're going to notice a few things about about the passage. The first one is this. Religious folk, religious people, and that includes present company, you and me, we have a tendency to set up man-made rules in order to preserve purity and exclude impurity. That's just a tendency in our hearts. We've got to realize that. We set up rules to preserve purity within and exclude purity from without. Exclude impurity from without. Look at verses 1 to 5. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, Then there in verse 3 and and 4, Mark goes on to list a bunch of things that you're supposed to wash before you use, whether it's your hands or your pots 
or your cups or your copper vessels or your dining couches. You got to wash them all before you use them. Why? Well, there was a practice in that day of creating man-made rules that was called fencing the law. You've probably heard us mention that. And the idea was this. If, if God's command to us is, is the Torah, is the law, and we're not supposed to break it, and if we break it, God will, will, will not bless us, then we need to create some rules that are going to keep us from breaking the law. We're going to put a fence around it. And so the classic example of this is the Sabbath day. The commandment, the Torah, the law, was keep holy the Sabbath. It is keep holy the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, for one thing, apparently, it means you should not work on the Sabbath. And if you're not going to work on the Sabbath, well, how are you going to know if you've worked or not? Well, let's come up with a rule. If you take 3,000 steps, you've been working on the Sabbath. If you take 2,999 steps, you're okay. This was fencing the law. If we approach breaking, if we can keep ourselves from approaching breaking the law, then we won't break it, and God will will bless us. In fact, to be honest, these are actually well-meaning rules, except they are totally misguided. Why? Why? Well, our passage today gives some insight into that. Um, In many ways, what we're fencing today is purity laws, this idea of being unclean. And so if you wash extensively before you eat, The thought is that will prevent any morsel of uncleanliness getting into your body. And so when we get to verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes ask Jesus, they're not worried worried that they're not obeying the law. Look at what they say. Why do your disciples not walk according to what? According to the tradition of the elders. It doesn't say why don't they walk according to the law of Moses, which is what you might expect, or why don't they walk according to to the Torah, It says, no, why don't they walk according to the tradition? It's not that they were breaking the law, but they were breaking the traditions, the man-made traditions. And so the original purpose of these laws was not to make people pure, but was to differentiate Israel from the pagans that surrounded them. A way of saying, look, we're different We belong to a different sort of God. Our God gives us these laws for our prosperity because He loves us. It helps them to keep focus on Yahweh. But the law was fenced by the Pharisees. It was given rules. It was no longer just don't eat, but but make sure you wash. They were zealous to keep the law, and the expectation was that it would bring God's blessing. And so they confront Jesus and they confront his disciples. Why are you not keeping the traditions? Now what we need to recognize this morning, friends, is that we're not all that different. We too often make and live in our own Christian cultures, Christian restaurants, Christian movies, Christian schools, even Christian video games. I'm looking at you, guitar praise. It's the alternative to, to praise, what is it, guitar, guitar hero, right? There's a Christian version with Christian songs. These aren't bad things, by all means. These aren't bad things at all. But we need to recognize that surrounding ourselves with moral purity will not keep us from being impure. It doesn't work. We know this well, right? 
How often do we see megachurch megachurches collapse because of a moral failure of, of their pastor? How often do we see children who grow up in Christian homes leave the faith when they go to college? How often do we see good Christian marriages end in divorce? Sometimes the most pure people, the most pure institutions, are all too often the ones that fall, and they fall hard because of moral failure, because they've bought into the illusion that we can keep impurities out. No, Jesus diagnoses the problem for us. It's not outside impurities that that are threatening to us. It's the ones that lie within, the ones that lie in our hearts. Jesus shows us that keeping out impurity is an impossible task. Look at verses 14 and 19. Jesus called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 17, he goes into his house with the disciples, and, and as is the case in Mark's gospel, typically they don't understand. And so they ask him, explain this parable to us. And Jesus says to them in verse 18, Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled it's translated expelled. They're, they're taking it easy on us. The Greek literally says, goes into the latrine. What comes into us comes out into the latrine. It is expelled. Verse 20, but what comes out of a person from within is what defiles him. What comes out of our hearts is what defiles us. The problem is already there, you see. We can't keep it out because it's already in. Even the purpose of the law was, was not to purify Israel, but to restrain them and convict them. God knew the evil in our hearts. And so he gave the law and he said, listen, th- this, is, this is where you need to be because I know if, if you didn't have the law, you would be way so much farther outside of my will. Just go read Genesis chapters 4 to 11. You will see exactly what I mean. God gives the law to Israel to restrain. He also gives it to convict. When we realize that we cannot keep God's commandments, we are convicted. We realize just how far from God we actually are. It's convicting. And so it's not what goes into us that makes us impure. It's what comes out of us that reveals our hearts, that reveals the impurity that is already within. In case we had any question, Jesus gives us a list there in verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Are you convicted? 
Do you see yourself in that list? I do. It's convicting. This comes from within. We don't need to learn how to do these things. We know. We're born that way. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't only diagnose the problem. He also offers a cure. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are restored, that we are renewed, that our hearts are made clean. He did not die so we could have good behavior. He died so we could have new life and new hearts. And what happens when we realize this, when we abide in the love of Jesus, when we sit at his cross It doesn't actually immediately make us better people. It makes us realize how bad we are. As we walk with Jesus, as we hope to that day when there's no more death and there's no more sin and there's no more pain and there's no more suffering, when Christ returns to rule, as we long for that day, we realize that in the meantime, we still struggle with this. That we might actually be made more holy But we realize that pursuing holiness, a big component of that, is realizing how unholy we actually were to begin with. We might not even realize it when we come to know Jesus, and then 20 years later you're thinking, man, I was and am a total mess. Praise be to God for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Two things, perhaps, that maybe we can take home today. I'm hoping that this message or this, the Word of God, not even the message, that God's Word will convict us to do to two things, to stop striving and to stop expecting. Stop striving, that we would stop striving to purify ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't want to walk in holiness. It doesn't mean that we don't want to obey the command of God. But, but what it does mean is we need to realize that there's nothing we can do. There's no structures we can put in place that will make our hearts pure and holy. Even if we're reading the Bible and going to Bible study and going to worship every day and have accountability partners and, and put in a bunch of internet filters on our computers, these again, these aren't bad things. Don't stop doing those. But do not expect them to make you pure. We have to stop striving and start abiding. Abiding in the grace and mercy of Jesus. Because that's what transforms hearts. That's what draws us closer to God. That's what will draw us closer to each other. And the second thing, stop expecting We need to stop expecting people who don't know Jesus to live up to the holy standards that God has placed before him. First of all, we can hardly do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. And we know Jesus. How much more difficult is it for someone who doesn't know Jesus to to follow God's law or even want to for that matter? We need to stop expecting people to get themselves together before they can know Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, I don't do that. But, but, but we do. We all do. We, we take a look and we cast judgment and we have this level of expectation of our culture. We've got to stop expecting that and instead start meeting people where they are. Because Jesus Christ met us while we were still sinners. While we were still mired in the muck 
of sin and impurity in our own hearts. In fact, He still meets us day in and day out, even though we haven't progressed much farther than where we started. So let us stop expecting others to go somewhere where we've not fully gone ourselves and instead start meeting them where they are. Friends, it's my prayer this morning that the love of Christ would so saturate our hearts that His love and joy and His grace would flow out of us, that they would overflow from us, that we would be so full of the Holy Spirit that the things coming out of us would be things that point others to Christ. And first and foremost needs to be forgiveness because that's what we've been offered in Jesus. And so I pray that as we leave here this morning that our, His love and His joy and His grace will so flow out of us that we will know and make known the salvation and peace of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.